Father, we thank you for that immeasurable, totally undeserved, absolutely just indefinable, indescribable love. Your infinite wisdom, your graciousness, your creative genius that brought us into existence, your love that transcended all of our rebellion and our backsliding. Thank you. As we enter into this new year of 2018, Lord, it's been 2,000 plus years now since you went to be there at the right hand of the Father to ever live and make intercession for us. And we realize even as we come, and others do in worship centers all over this nation, some that have already finished in hours ahead and days and other time zones and others that will be worshiping later. That even as we stand in our weakness, you stand in the robe of perfected righteousness at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, crying out in ways that we cannot comprehend for the matchless grace that you have extended to be embraced. Father, thank you for the beauty of worship. Thank you for the majesty of your presence that comes when we lift our voices. Thank you that the psalmist said that you inhabit the praises of your people. You're the one who, who comes to dwell when we build a house of praise. And Lord, you come not just to be a resident stuck away in a side room or put in a closet to be taken out once a week or for some every Christmas and every Easter. But you come to be president, to dwell in our midst, to be in our being, to make us all that we need to be. And God, as we enter into your presence this morning, we come with a sense of the allness of awesomeness of your presence, with thanksgiving for your mercy. Father, I'm a weak vessel, but you're a mighty God. And so look not to my weakness, O Father, but look to the one who intercedes at your right hand and dresses me in the robes of righteousness by the grace of forgiveness and mercy. And speak words that need to be heard this morning, not only by those who will hear my voice, but by me, and may I hear your voice clearly. God, thank you for Mount Zion. Thank you for the stability of years. Thank you for Chris and all that he's done in the years of service here. Thank you for those that have volunteered, for some who've come and some who have gone. Thank you for the investment that this place has made to nations around the world and now to nations that literally come and sit in the pews of this congregation. We honor you this morning, Lord. and We humble ourselves before you and ask that you would speak to us a powerful and clear and clear-on call for this new year. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, 
Amen. We'll bless you and good morning. It's always a delight and a joy to be in Mount Zion and I hope I've met some of you over the years and it's a delight to be back with you again. Alice and I felt sorry for you when you were telling me about all of these guys that you had to put up with, but guys I've listened to are you're endangered. <laughs> you haven't got a chance to stand up against this kind of woman. I praise the Lord. You have blessed us this morning, sweet girl, and I appreciate it very, very much. Amen. Amen, amen, and amen. I want to thank you for the privilege to say that you as a church have invested in me and Jackie and International Prayer Ministries, the ministry that we represent and the work that we do in nations around the world, but in particular in Southeast Asia and Thailand and Nepal. And uh, I wish I had time this morning to give you such, some reports of what God is doing, but I have a burning desire in my heart this morning to speak to you, people of God, concerning where we are as a nation today. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me this morning to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. I wish we had more weeping pulpits today, more brokenhearted prophetic preachers that would address the issues of the day as we see them. If you, uh, if you want to look to a text this morning, you can look to Jeremiah chapter 8, verses 5, 6, and 7 is the text. But I'm going to go back to the beginning of that book, and I'm going to address issues from chapter 1 and chapter 2, and talk to you about where we are and where we need to be as we move into this year. Now, I realize that Chris said I was going to introduce my wife, and Thank you, Holy Spirit. I just was reminded that I'd not done that. <laughs> My beautiful bride of 53 years, going on 54 now. That's something to be commended for, I want you to know. She is to be commended, sitting right here. And sitting with her, two of our dearest friends, Ken and Cherie Lund, who have been on our board of directors, and their beautiful daughter, and her, his, her, her husband, and their two children, and then two more grandchildren, of a son-in-law and a daughter who live in Ohio, and he's a pastor of a Christian Missionary Alliance church, and, and those two grandchildren are visiting Ken and Cherie, and I'm glad to have them here this morning. But let's return to the subject. Jeremiah chapter 8, verses 5, 6, and 7. I want you to listen for just a moment. Jeremiah is, is the voice of God to the children of Israel. Now listen to me, we need some voices from God that addresses the children of God today. More than anything on the face of this earth, we are at a crisis point as a nation. I'm deeply convinced. I've preached almost 57 years now around the nations of the earth and around the globe. And I've never seen our nation in greater crisis than it is today. Oh, I know the stock market is just top the top it's ever been. I understand that economy supposedly is doing much better than it's ever done. I know that there are mega churches that are being packed to capacity, 10, 20, 30, 40,000 in attendance. I understand all of that, but in the midst of all of that, I see sin predominating at a level like I have never seen it in almost 75 years of living. I've never seen anything like we're in today. 
Jeremiah addresses the issue to the children of Israel when he says in chapter 8, verse 5, Why then is this people of Jerusalem slidden back by perpetual backsliding? They hold fast deceit. They refuse to return. I hearkened and heard, but they spake not aright. No man repented him of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone is turned to his own course as the horse rushed to the battle. Yea, the stork in heaven knoweth her appointed times, and the turtle dove and the crane and the swallow observe the time of their coming. But my people do not know when the judgment of the Lord is near at hand. Perpetual backsliding. I want to address the issue today because backsliding is a perpetual issue that's all the way through the Bible. From the book of Genesis to the closing book of Revelation, the Word of God addresses the issue of the backslidden condition when people of God become blasé with the presence of God. The writer of the book of Proverbs says it this way, the backslider in heart is filled with his own ways. And if I could address that issue this morning, I would address it from the perspective that Jeremiah had addressed the issue when he spoke to the children of Israel. You see, Israel's love for God was beginning to fade. In fact, it was gone by the time it had gotten to chapter 8. The holiness had become a, a forgotten issue in the life of the people of God called the children of God. Israel no longer delighted the heart of God. They broke the heart of God. The people who had once borne the fruit were barren all of a sudden. The men and women once filled with God were now filled with themselves. Let me give you evidence of this. In in Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 5, Israel in her own vanity of mind and heart had determined God was no longer important to them as he had once been, and thus they crowded him out. We saw that beginning back a few years ago when when prayer was pushed out of the school, and I could give you a thousand different illustrations of how it's been done all across our nation. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 Israel forgot the deliverance of God in His great mercy and and their praise and thanksgiving began to fade away. They had been carried away into captivity and God had intervened and delivered them and brought them out of that and set them down in a land of promise and given them a world flowing with milk and honey. And they no longer looked to God and said, Thank you, Father, we praise you for that. And they became self-sufficient and did not call upon God. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 8. The religious leaders of Israel joined in the backsliding. They had crowded God out. And I hear more and more men and women of God across this nation compromising the word of God than I have ever heard in all of the 50 plus years that I've been preaching. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 11, when God is crowded out, the religious leaders and the people begin to look for other gods because there is a created vacuum in us by the Creator that demands that something fills the emptiness of the soil of our soul. And when God is not there, Jehovah God, Creator God, the Sovereign God, the King of Kings, the Lord of the universe is not there, then we go looking for other gods. 
Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, Israel had once drank at the very fountain of living water. They knew what it was to walk through the desert. And where there was no water, water came springing forth. They knew what it was like when they walked through the desert and their clothes did not wear out and their sandals did not wear out. They knew the living water of God, but they forsook that water and began to dig their own wells and to drink from cisterns that were no longer pure. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 19. Israel had once been guided by the hand of God, but now they decided they would go their own way. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 22 and following. Israel became accustomed to being in and polluted by the conditions of their surrounding. In other words, they began to compromise to such a level that they were more identified with the world than the creator of the world. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 27 and 28. Israel had crowded God out and replaced him with gods that could not answer them. They, they once knew what it was like to call out, Oh God, would you not come down? And he came and he met their needs. But they had grown blasé. And they'd created their own gods. And now they were crying to those gods. Today in America, we cry to the God of secularism and humanism and materialism, sexuality and immorality. And there is still emptiness in the soil of our soul. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 33 and 34, when Israel crowded God out and sought other gods, they encouraged those around them to join in the corruption and death and blood was on their skirts. And we have murdered, what, 67 Almost 70 million unborn children because we have chosen what we want instead of what God wants. Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 11. When Jeremiah confronted Israel with her condition, she began to justify herself and to defend her position. Look at the platform. And I don't care what, what is your political affiliation. Look at the platforms of the political structures of the American society today and you see a justification for what the masses want. It does not matter what the majority wants when it's opposed to God. We're in deep, deep trouble. Now you say, Glenn, is that evident with us today? I want to give you some evidences of backsliding in our lives today. That, and I've asked the Lord just to make these personal because they, they deal with me. These are things that begin to happen. They're there all the time. They're constantly, they plague us. And when they begin to live in our life, what happens is it changes us and transforms us. Number one, when prayer ceases to be a vital part of, of the life of an individual, they no longer are in communion with the Creator. Prayerlessness. Number two, we become hearers of the Word of God and not doers. Now, I'm noticing some of you this morning, you're following me pretty closely in Scripture. You remember what James said? Be doers of the Word, not just hearers, lest you deceive yourself. The great danger is not that you won't come to church. The great danger is that we come to church, take notes, and then do nothing about it Monday through Saturday. 
We're to be doers of the word and not hearers only. We're to have it to apply to our lives. We're to put it into the standards of our children and our grandchildren. We're to live what we have heard and do what we have been told. The great danger is that we will be hearers of the word of God and not doers of the word of God. You see, God's word is for others, but not us, we say. So often when we delight in the word of God and, and say, oh, that, that's good. That, I, I want to apply it to Pastor Chris over here. It, he really needs this. Oh, I want to apply it to my wife. She, she needs this. I, I want to apply it to Allison. They, they need this. But it has no application for me. Folks, those are standard procedures of backslidden carnality that sneaks insidiously into the life of a people. Now listen, do you think that America has come to where it is just overnight? No, it has been a long process, literally decades, bit by bit by bit, the insidious deception of the Word of God being thrown out or being compromised has literally weakened the very fiber and the soil of our soul. And we no longer are people that are known by our holiness and our purity, but we're known, listen now, this is not a condemnation of the beauty of your worship, honey. We are known by the rhythm of our music more than the power of the Word of God that's preached from the pulpit. We're more comfortable gyrating than we are broken, humble at the altar, crying out, Oh God, would you not rend the heavens and come down? I have a deep, deep burden. The longer I live, the more I walk, the more churches I'm in and out of to see God's word not only be applied to others, but applied to my heart. And as I speak to you this morning, I want to be honest with you. I'm not telling you something. I'm asking God to tell us something. Another trait of this backslidden con condition is that we begin to lose focus. Our thought life begins to be compromised. When the, when the very earnest thoughts of our life are more obsessed by the things of the world than they are the things of God, something is the matter. Tomorrow night in this city, people will literally come from probably just about every nation in every continent. I sat at a family wedding last night and I listened to one of my young cousins who said, you know, Glenn, the tickets for this uh, national football uh, game playoff in, in the Mercedes men, they're the highest in human history. Can't get a ticket for less than about $1,200 to $2,000 and they run as high as $30,000. You don't believe it? Just go to the internet. And there are people that are flying in from around the world. They're church members who've not given a nickel or a dime to the body and the bride for a whole year and yet will pay $2,000 to $5,000 to sit and cheer to watch a group of guys beat heads against one another. Now, I want Georgia to beat Alabama. I'm sorry. You know, I mean, I, I, I am probably carnal in that area, according to some of you. And if I've offended some of you Alabama fans, get over it. <laughs> But you, you understand what I'm saying. Our, our thought patterns begin to be messed up. We, we're no longer pressing it, saying, God, what is your will? Lord, how do you want us to spend our money? How do you want us to invest our life? 
What difference is this going to make in eternity? Who wins or who loses tomorrow night? Not a one iota compared to what happens in the pulpit when the word of God is proclaimed uncompromisingly and without any hesitation. Let me give you another indication. There's no delight in worshiping God. You see, when the services of the church lose their delight, and we'd rather gather with others more than God's family, backsliding is evident. There'll be more pizzas sold tomorrow night in Atlanta, Georgia than has been sold in the last six months in Atlanta, Georgia, I promise you, because we'll have pizza parties just so we can gather. Those who can't afford, those who can't afford a thousand or two thousand or thirty thousand dollars for a box seat down there at the Mercedes-Benz place can afford oh, $150 for 10 friends to come in and eat pizza. Something's the matter with that. And most of us have compromised our conscience. Another thing that's often there is our conversations begin to be corrupted. When we begin to deal with pointed spiritual issues, we're embarrassed. We don't want to talk about them. We don't want to draw a line in the sand and say, now look, this is what God says. I don't care what the political situation says. Republican, Democrat, independents, this one, that one, or the other ones. I do not care. This is what God says. The Word of God has got to begin to capture the heart of the people of God again. And we've got to have clarity and no longer corruption. Our priorities begin to be confused when sports and recreation and entertainment are a larger part and necessary part of our daily lifestyle than the worship of Almighty God. Something is the matter in my life, in your life, and our life as a nation. When sins of the body, the soul, and the mind can be indulged in and there's no uproar in our spirit, we, we have begun to be, if you, can, if you can conceive of it, tolerant of sin. We begin to be satisfied. How long has it been since you've driven down the street and, and watched the massage parlors that are filled with young girls, usually sold out of our nation in Thailand or Nepal or somewhere in Southeast Asia, and they come here and guys go in and spend God only knows how much I don't. And it's tolerated. And nobody says anything about it. Very few politicians will stand against that kind of thing. Something happens in the soil of the soul of a nation. Holiness begins to be avoided when desires for Christ-like holiness cease to be a great desire of our life and we become satisfied to measure our spiritual walk by the other people's spiritual walk and not the plumb line of Jesus Christ. We've lost our measuring stick. I'm not, a great, I'm not a great carpenter. I don't know a lot about how to build a building. I'm sure some of you guys and probably some of you ladies know more than I'd ever dream of in my lifetime. But I do know that a plumb line, if you hang it to something and drop it down and let it get still, it measures because of the very way that God set up gravity, it measures a plumb. And you see today, this is God's plumb line. This is. 
Not the platform of a political structure. Not the opinion of a theological debate. But the word of God. This is the plumb line. And when we begin to say, oh, but that was for them. We have begun to draw away and we no longer can build a building. And I'm not talking about a physical building. And, and this is a beautiful, wonderful physical building. And I've enjoyed being here so many times but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what God does in us. And God, when he drops the plumb line in my life, it helps me to line up, to get in line, to evaluate where I'm going. You see, when our focus shifts from doing the will of God to living a comfortable life, there's an indication backsliding has begun to be effective in my life. When the acquisition of money, when, when goods, when, when success, when degrees, when, when, when getting this, that, or the other becomes more important than getting close to God. When that becomes more important than getting close to God, we have, we have misappropriated what God has given us. Praise and worship become a mere form. Nobody enjoys praise and worship more than I do. I love it. You may have seen me. I wasn't standing down there. I've got an old knee that's wearing out. Chris talks about how old I am. My hair's still there. His is not. <laughs> mine turned gray. His turned loose. Uh, you can mine go back fell to through now. and held on, praise the Lord. <laughs> I, I don't stand too often unless I get in the pulpit. Then I forget my knee's hurting, you know, but it's kind of worn out a little bit. But I, nothing, I, I loved it. I thought to myself this morning, I wish I could... If I, if I was young, I'd have danced across the front of this place, and I wouldn't have given a rip what you thought. I'd have been like David. I'd, I'd have kept my clothes on, but I'd have danced before God. I'd have just said, God, you're wonderful. It's wonderful to be in your presence. That's who I am. Now, my wife would never do that. She's much more subdued than I and keeps me down sometimes. Subdued, I don't mean negatively, you know. But I'll tell you what. But when we become more concerned about about what the form of worship is instead of the power of worship. We mouth religious songs without living religious lives. Backsliding is evident in our life. And now at least some of you think, boy, Glenn, you're on a harangue this morning. No, I'm on the Bible. <laughs> this is Jeremiah. Read it for yourself. I'll give you an assignment this afternoon. I don't, Chris, do you ever do this? Tell them to do something. Do they do it? Always. Always. <laughs> Repent. <laughs> I, want you to read, I want you to read Jeremiah chapter 1 and 2 this afternoon. Just take time to sit down and read it. You might want to read it in New English translation. The old King James is a little hard to understand. But all the way through, it, it's the, the, the opening book of, uh, of chapter of, of one of Jeremiah is the call of Jeremiah. It's where God says, I've, I've planned things for you. And Jeremiah says, I can't do this. I'm a kid. I don't, I don't have the ability. And God says, listen, Jeremiah, you just stand up and speak. I'll tell you what to say and I'll speak through you. And Jeremiah takes that on and he begins to do it. And he moves into chapter two. And, and the word of God begins to flow through this weeping prophet. And he addresses the nation 
nation of Israel and he calls them back to the Father and he says, you must return. You must come home. No longer can you live like you live. If you continue like that, the judgment of the Lord will come. Read chapter 1 and 2 this afternoon. I want you to understand something. If your ears are open, you will hear things from God. But here's the danger. Often our ears have become calloused. You know what calluses are? Some of you have worked a lifetime with your hands. You've got calluses. I, I've not worked a long, long time with my hands. I, I've worked with my brain and, and with other things, and, and, and calluses are not there. But calluses come when you do something over and over and over again. At first, they usually come because there's a blister there, and, and the blister pops, and when the blister has popped, and, and the soreness gets over, it calluses up. It kind of, the skin gets hard. And before too awful long, you can do what used to hurt you without it hurting you any longer. Are you getting the message? When you sin just a little bit, it hurts you and, and your spirit maybe rises up. And, and when you grieve or quench or resist the spirit, you say, God, don't bother me. I, I, listen, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm making it good. I'm, everything's good, you know. I've got a good job. I'm, I'm, I'm at the highest pay I've ever been. We're going to have the mortgage paid off. We've got a good retirement plan. We can do anything we want to. We become callous, and God begins to say, I'm not interested in your retirement. I'm interested in your obedience. It is better to obey than anything in the face of this earth. And so our spiritual ears become callous when we hear the Lord's name taken in vain, spiritual concerns mocked, eternal issues treated flippantly, and we're not moved and broken and weep and cry. How long has it been since you've been in a public arena where we go all the time and you hear God's name profaned? Or, or you look across the aisle and and you see stuff that's going on that ought not to go on. Then I'll be crazy and go over and try to slap them around and be religious. Weep and cry out and say, God, would you drop a mercy drop of your holiness into this place? But when their ears are callous, they cannot hear the voice of repentance. And, and our eyes begin to develop cataracts, I think. A few years ago, I began to tell Jackie that my uh, my eyes were not doing so well, and I, I you know, I had to start wearing bifocals. <laughs> I laughed because she said, honey, just focus. <laughs> and, and I did as long as I could, and then I discovered that there were just cataracts there, and they had to be removed. You see, what happens is when we watch de debilitating, defiling movies, we we turn on television and we're absorbed by things that stimulate us where we ought not to be stimulated. When, when we read morally debilitating materials and we put it in our home and our little grandkids, like, like these that are visiting with you, Ken and Cherie, your children, your grandchildren. When, when that happens, what happens is we begin to, we begin to be cataract. We no longer can see the presence and the power of God. I'm asking the Lord the longer I live when I walk into a place, God, help me to be able to see how you see. Help me to look at, 
at a people and speak from where you're speaking, not from my notes or, or the thoughts that I have, but God, what are you saying? You see, in the book of Revelation, I think it's chapter 4, John on the Isle of Patmos, they said he was an exiled. No, he was, you know, he was exiled from the world. No, he was, he was, he was not isolated from the world. He was insulated to God. And God said in Revelation chapter 4, John, come up, come up here where I live, and I'll show you things from my perspective. And, and what God wants us to do in this world that we're living in today, for little grandbabies like, I bet that's your grandchild sitting there. They want you, God wants you, wants me, because I've got one like that. Wants me to be able to see how God wants them to live, and to live such a way until God can speak through me into the life of that child, and that child is indelibly imprinted. But if I don't have the cataracts removed, if God has not done the surgery that's the cleansing and the purifying, the sanctifying. You know, in the, in the Bible, there are three major terms that talk about our spiritual journey. There's justification. It means just when we're justified by faith in Christ. We're made just as if we're not sinned ever. And the rest of our life, we live in this process of sanctification. It's an ongoing thing. And the older you get, the things that God wants to do in you, He, he does because He loves you, not because He despises you. You know, I'm, I've got a knee. I've got to have it replaced. It's just wearing out. You know, I'm carrying around too much flabber. And it's just wearing out. I, it, it's gone. So I've got to have it replaced. It's not going to be easy. I've got to, I've got to have it cut open. They're going to have to take out all the bones and put in a titanium knee. I've had this one done. They drive it down in there, drive it up in there. They put it back together, sew it up, and then I go to rehab for about 21 days. That ain't fun. I don't like it. I've been putting it off now. Can't do it much longer. But you see, I don't limp with this one. It's been worked on. God, God will take you and take the limp away when he works on you. You understand? Are, are you reading my heart this morning? I'm not, I'm not down on us. I'm just, I'm before God saying, Lord, do something in our nation. Do something in congregations like Mount Zion or, or First Baptist Atlanta or Mount Perrin or Timbuktu over here or Jim Bohu over there. Do something that causes the altar to begin to be filled with people who are crying out, Oh God, rend the heavens, come down. What hinders revival in America today? We have the greatest prayer movement in human history. We've got 24-7 prayer that's issuing out of, out of the house of prayer in Kansas City and they, they're broadcast around the world on the God Channel. We've got the 24-7 prayer movement birthed 20 years ago now approximately in England. The same week that the house of prayer was birthed in Kansas City and it's operating in globally around the world. Our national prayer committee, I've been on it from its founding. We've got more people praying than ever before. It's not just a matter of praying people. It's a matter of repenting people. It's a matter of us saying, God, do business with me. Look in me, search me, try me. If there's anything in me that doesn't please you this morning, God, I'm coming to this altar. I'm yours, have me. 
the beauty of what Allison has brought us to in worship this morning is thrilling beyond degree. But if you go out with a jiggle in your step and no brokenness in your heart, you've not completed the task this beautiful young lady was calling you to. You see, God wants to do work in us. When we're in backslidden carnality, we have a divided allegiance and it draws us away from the things of God. And we become obsessed with the things of the world. We have form without power. Sin begins to be excused. Joy is absent from our life. We, we begin to perform to be accepted. Psychologists said it a few years ago, performance-based acceptance. Pastor, work hard, do good, you know, 24-7, stay at it. It almost killed you. It'll kill any of us. God doesn't tell us we have to work hard. He says we have to obey. And when we obey, He gets in on the act. His glory comes. His presence begins to flow. He says things. He does things. He is the sovereign King of the universe. Oh, God, would you rend the heavens and come to our nation again? Would there be a church somewhere that's willing to pay the price? No longer prayerless, but overwhelmingly filled with the fire of the glory of God himself. You see, Jeremiah said it well. They have been with a perpetual backsliding so long until they do not know that judgment is near at hand. And With all of my heart this morning as I finish these brief thoughts with you, I want to remind you that if God could judge the people that he chose, his people, the Israelites, friends, he will judge us. My old friend who went to be with God many years ago, dear, dear mentor, like God's allowed me to be for your pastor, old Leonard Ravenhill, said it so powerfully, he said, if God doesn't judge America, he's going to have to apologize for Sodom, to Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's true. Because everything that was in Sodom and Gomorrah is on the streets of Atlanta, Georgia, and Kansas City, Missouri, where Jackie and I live. And in your neighborhood, and in our schools, and in our universities. You say, Glenn, is there any resolution to this? Oh, Yes. A quick resolution, a simple resolution. The psalmist said it beautifully, search me, Lord, look at me. Can you imagine this, this beautiful young lady was singing about the presence of God this morning. He, can you, he's looking down. He knows you. He knows me. He knows our hearts. If you will just say to him this morning, God, I'm not here just because we got guests or this is where I was supposed to go to church. God, I'm here because I want to be with you this morning. Would you look inside of me? Would you search me? Would you try me? And God, anything in me that's not right with you, would you do surgery on me? I'm yours. Jeremiah says, woe, it's me. I live in a land that's unclean, but I have unclean lips. And God sent the coal off of the altar, the cherubim brought it and placed it on, and purification came, and power came, and Isaiah became one who was sent, anointed by God. 
perpetual backsliding only intensifies the degradation of a nation. Broken humility and simple repentance justifies the heart of a nation and brings the presence of the Creator not only to our lives but to our sanctuaries, not only to our pulpits but to the altars of political structures and to the halls of football fame. It changes everything. So this morning is... I asked the Lord literally before I flew out here yesterday, day before yesterday for this family wedding and knew I was going to be with you. I said, God, what, what should I speak to my people, the people I love dearly at Mount Zion about? And he reminded me of this, and so I brought it to you, not in the way of, and it sounded very stern this morning, I know that, but not in the way of beating you up, but just saying, would you honestly say to God this morning, God, may this be the greatest year in the life of Mount Zion Baptist Church, but I want it to be your year. I want it to be for your glory, and I want you to do in me anything you choose to do. So would you bow your heads for a moment? I'm going to open the altar in just a moment. We'll just have an old-fashioned altar call. If you need to come to this altar, you come to do business with God. I'll be here. Pastor will be here. Staff that needs to respond if you're here and you want to join the church or you come to faith in Christ this morning, we'd be glad to talk with you. I'll cut this microphone off. Nobody will know our conversation. I'll not ask you to say a thing except to talk to the Father. But more than anything, I'm talking to us, me and you. If God is highlighting any of the little things that I've spoken of this morning in your spirit, would you quietly come here at this altar and say, God, here, I want to begin 218 on my knees in your presence. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, by the power of your spirit, I ask that you would bring conviction, not condemnation. You always bring conviction. Conviction is that wonderful work of the Spirit that draws us to you, that invites us to the altar, that says, Come unto me, ye that are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And Lord, when the condemnation comes and tells us how bad we are, I know it's a voice from the evil one. He tells us we can't. But God, we can do all things through Christ who is our strength. And so humbly this morning we come to this altar with our hearts open to say search us, try us, do in us the deep things that need to be done your heads bowed and your hearts open, would you just stand to your feet all over the house please if you will and if you need to come here to the altar, you need to come to a pastor to share or pray you just quickly come, just come right now as our dear beautiful young lady leads us in a few moments of worship. Don't look around to see what others are doing. Don't ask what, what, what if they think of me. Say God what do you think of me? And just let God do his deep work this morning. Some of you young people that are here this morning he's speaking to your heart about lifestyles that you're developing. Speaking to your heart about rebellion. Speaking to your heart about purity and holiness. Some of you that are that are family members that are here that are 
allowing things to saturate your home through television or movies that are being observed or things that you read. He's speaking to you this morning. He's crying for you. He's inviting you to come and lay these things down. So you come if you will. Just come. Lord, I come. I confess. Bowing here, I find my rest. Without. 